Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back to the podcast, a Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, great to be back with you. Thank you for joining us here on a Wednesday and looking forward to the conversation. Good to be with you, Dan, and I hope you're doing well. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And I know we have a lot to catch up on, maybe starting with a a couple of domestic items. Now, I think back to Monday, I recall President Biden spoke from the White House. He did outline actions to fight gun crime specifically. So could you share with us some of the details from the president's address and uh, maybe speak more to the administration's plan and what the reception of that all has consisted of thus far? Yeah, so this conference he held on on Monday was also to the, announce the uh, appointment of Steve Gettelbach to serve as uh, the director of the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Explosive uh, Federal Law Enforcement Agency. And this role has actually been a vacant since, I believe, 2015. So uh, I believe this is his second nomination to the post. So you know, we'll see how uh, if, if uh, Mr. Dittelback is able to be confirmed. But it, it gave him the platform to also announce some um, regulations on guns. Um, the most meaningful one is a crackdown on ghost guns, um, which have, you know, according to statistics from ATF, have seen a, a, a real proliferation. Um, in the past few years, um, ATF says there are approximately 20,000 suspected ghost guns um, that, that have been recovered by law enforcement in criminal investigations. Now, a ghost gun is an unserialized, uh, privately made firearm that law enforcement uh, is increasingly uh, um, recovering at these crime scenes, as I mentioned. So the, the final rule bans the business of manufacturing uh, the most accessible ghost guns, such as unserialized buy-build shoot kits uh, that individuals can buy online or at a store without a background check. Um, so this was, I think, the main focus, and this is a final rule that will, um, uh, that will go into effect, I think, soon. Um, there were other executive actions, but I think that's probably the most notable uh, to our listeners. And, you know, given the events of, uh, I believe it was yesterday at the New York City subway, you know, we'll, we'll come back and Congress will come back to this issue of guns. Um, we do not expect Congress to pass any new, uh, meaningful gun legislation at this time. So this will probably be a big effort on, on, on behalf of the Biden administration. Um, and the reception, you know, got, gets muddled because of yesterday's um, uh, violence in, in Brooklyn, New York. So um, we'll kind of see what the reaction is when members get back. And the focus will probably turn to the appointment of Mr. Uh, Dito back to the ATF. Um, but, uh, you know, as I mentioned, this is a, a position that's been open for many years because it has brought some controversy along with it. Uh, where, you know, the right and left just don't agree on uh, what the what this role is and, and who should be in it. So uh, I'm sure there'll be more to come on this one as, uh, 
as we like to say. Well, uh, Shane, thank you for sharing some key takeaways there from the president's plan on gun crime. We, we shall see how this takes shape and, of course, an important issue which impacts many. And we'll, of course, keep our eyes on how that confirmation process goes as well. Uh, revisiting another topic which we've spoken about many times here on the podcast, that being the U.S. southern border. And we have been hearing about bipartisan efforts that have been set in motion in order to extend or perhaps reinstate Title Forty which I believe is set to expire on May 23rd. So, Shane, can you remind us what Title 42 is and what the concerns are surrounding its expiration, what those might consist of? Yeah, and, you know, over the past few weeks and months, you know, um, the southwest border has has, uh, kind of lost some media attention, you know, because of issues like the war in Ukraine and other things. Uh, but, you know, there has been a surge in illegal uh, immigration uh, at the southwest border. And that is going to bring back some public attention, which uh, this announcement by President Biden to rescind Title uh, 42 uh, will also increase that attention. Um, this is a policy that was crafted by the previous administration and designed to keep asylum seekers um, out of the U.S. due to COVID and other, you know, health consideration. Um, that policy was put in place to limit the large numbers of migrants who entered the U.S. seeking asylum due to public health concerns. They could still seek asylum. It would just have to be from, you know, a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad. Um, removal of the restrictions would return to the practice of, you know, um, uh, allowing migrants to seek asylum in the U.S. Perhaps this issue is getting uh, more attention because, um, some of the border state Democrat senators like Kirsten Sinema and Mark Kelly of Arizona have actually asked the Biden administration to maintain Title II as a way of uh, curtailing the ongoing surge at the southwest border. I have heard about there being perhaps risk of congressional dispute over Title 42 holding up COVID-19 relief in particular. Is there any possibility of that happening? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as uh, senators reached disagreement uh, on about a, on a framework, I think, of $10 billion in new COVID-related funding, you know, for testing vaccines, et cetera, and that has been kind of um, stalled by this um, uh, Title 42 issue um, because Republicans wanted to have an amendment that would block the Biden administration from reversing uh, this policy. Um, so I think what you'll see is that both um, this immigration amendment uh, on Title 42 and this COVID relief bill will receive uh, vote in May. And and we think actually both have a good chance of passing. So uh, we think it'll work itself out. But for the, for the moment, it is at least, at the very least, causing a delay in passage in any more COVID funding. Thank you for the clarity, Shane, on that point. And of course, something will continue to track very closely. I do want to circle back. I know over the past several weeks, we have been tracking the confirmation process of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. And since we last spoke, uh, now Associate Justice-designate Katanji Brown-Jackson has since been confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So what can we expect from Associate Justice-designate Jackson? And when will she assume her role on the bench? Yeah, congratulations to Katanji uh, Brown Jackson. Uh, she was confirmed by a vote of uh, 53 to 47 um, about a week ago. Uh, and you're right, there's there's a little bit of a timing issue. Because, uh, originally, uh, Justice Breyer said 
he would uh, retire uh, at the end of the session, which is uh, essentially the end of uh, June. You know, um, the Supreme Court works in a cycle where, you know, they have a summer recess and then when they come back, they hear the cases and then, you know, they essentially take time to write their opinions, deliberate them. And typically, and you know, June is when they release those opinions and then they finish their docket, we'll say, and go back to their recess. So uh, it seems the intention is for Justice Breyer to step down at the end of June after all these um, uh, rulings are released. And then uh, Contangi Brown Jackson will be sworn in as the new associate uh, Supreme Court justice. Um, as far as, you know, who, who, what she will be on the Supreme Court, I think, um, you know, she's replacing uh, someone uh, who is, um, you know, a progressive liberal, whatever term you want to use. And I think she'll be um, in, in the same mold, maybe even a little bit more left of uh, Justice Breyer. Um you know, uh, it will still be really a six-three court, six uh, in favor of conservatives and three uh, liberal progressives. Um, so, you know, this does not really sh- sh- change the makeup, we'll say, of, of of the Supreme Court, but it does change the face of it in a sense of you know you have an, oh, um, a female and a minority and African American uh, now on the Supreme Court. Uh, adding to other females and uh, Clarence Thomas and African-Americans. So it has definitely brought more diversity to the Supreme Court. It just may not bring, you know, different uh, rulings, we'll say. Thank you, Shane. And before we close out, I know you mentioned a few moments ago the Russia-Ukraine war, which, of course, we have been covering. Uh, Since we last spoke, can you speak of any notable developments surrounding the war? I do understand recently that there was a, a high profile visit to Kiev. Yes, Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom uh, went to Kiev and, you know, uh, met with uh, President Zelensky. And it, it, you saw some, you may have seen some great uh, footage of them walking the streets of Kiev uh, together. Um, you know, and, and that's a very important symbolic, you know, um, act uh, of support. So that, that was good to see from that perspective. You know, I think what you're seeing in Ukraine is a shift from uh, Russia. You know, they essentially have pulled out and been pushed out uh, of uh, northern Ukraine and away from Kiev. Uh, and they're now going to focus all their efforts on the eastern portion, especially, you know, around Donbass and Mariupol. And, you know, I, that will be, I think, maybe their end game. Maybe. I think what you're seeing is... Uh, President uh, Putin um, really focus on, you know, the Russians in that area and, and quote, freeing them. Um, so I think he's going to put all of his eggs in that basket. And, you know, we're going to see how that plays out. But, you know, I think as, as, as we know, there's a human toll on this. And, you know, we're seeing uh, any citizens left in Mariupol uh, being uh, kind of cut off from uh, humanitarian aid and um, and and humanitarian corridors. Um, there is a lot of effort to try and get humanitarian corridors established. You know, I feel like one day you read that it uh, that it's been established, and the next day that uh, those corridors are being attacked. So uh, I am hopeful that the corridors uh, stand up and and civilians can get out. But you know, um, this is been a uh, long six weeks for the people of Ukraine. 
and hopefully um, it will end soon. But I think the path we're on is not uh, that. I think, you know, um, Russia is really going to make a hard effort in the east of Ukraine. And uh, this won't be over in a week or two by any means. Yeah, the, the human toll that continues to be a devastating reality of this conflict. And despite Russia's intentions, hopefully we're moving towards a de-escalation. But of course, we'll wait and see and we'll track this very closely. Though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast this week, for bringing us up to speed on a range of key developments, both here at home and abroad. As always, plenty we will follow up on for our listeners and their clients and I wish you a nice holiday weekend coming up. Thank you very much. Great to be with you, Dan, and let's go Mets. Absolutely. The Yankees are off to a rocky start, but the good news is we have plenty of baseball ahead of us, which is great. So thank you again, Shane. Always appreciate it. And again today, we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners and our clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS financial advisor for a copy.